As of the filming of this video, Virginia Key Outdoor Center has been shut down by city officials. All right, are we, are we live on your phone? Oh, we are. oh, cool. Okay, nice. Well, hi, everybody. My name is Jenny. Welcome to Miami with Podcast. Today's episode is a special one because we are we have gathered here to discuss an issue that is uh, preeminent here in Miami and Miami politics. So we'll start with you, Esther. Esther Alonso, you um, own the Virginia Key Outdoor Center. I do. And uh, this is directly affecting you primarily. It does. Um, so we opened in the park um, about seven years ago. Uh, we went through an RFP process and we were the winning bidders. Uh, and then we received a lease and because we knew that there would be work that was being done, there was a seawall replacement that had to take place. There was language built in tolling or a tolling period, because it wouldn't be fair to give you a five-year lease that's you know restricted by uh, local ordinance, mm -hmm. and then take a year away, uh, you know, from effective operations. Um, but what we weren't expecting was hurricane, well, tropical storm Irma. And certainly not COVID, which also caused closures because the city was dumping on that very field um, where they're planning on on putting this uh, encampment. Right. Yeah. And it was actually not legal dumping. It was in a non-permitted area. Okay. Before we so dive into that, <laughs> let's continue with our guests. We have Nadir Perez from Ben Vamos. Yes, yes, so yes amazing political campaigning company. Thank you. Thank you. So like Jenny said, my name is Nadir. Um, I'm the founder of Ven Vamos Strategies. Uh, in the nutshell, we just help real, really good people win elections and we make sure bad guys lose. Okay. I like the sound of that. Yeah. Sounds amazing. And then over on Zoom, unfortunately, could not be here in person, but so gracious of you to join us over on Zoom, Jason. We have Jason Poblete, um, a Miami native, but who is now not now for quite a while you've moved we lost you to virginia and you yeah. are an international claims lawyer with the global liberty alliance thanks for having us maybe next time we'll do it uh, we'll do it local it's a pleasure to be with you all i look forward to to having you here in person in the studio same here same here so let's dive in guys the issue we want to take a look at today is the proposed um homeless Camp is that the correct? Is that what they're calling it at Virginia Key? So yeah, it's um, we were shocked. I mean, I, we've said it before. Um, this is an area. This is a city park, and and you hear it referred to as a you know Virginia Key, a thousand acre island. It's about eight hundred and forty some acres as a whole. Part of the property is owned by the county. Uh, part of it includes marinas. There's the um, Marine Stadium Basin with Marine Stadium, uh, the rowing club. There are several parks on the island, including the historic Virginia Key Beach Park and the park that we're in, Virginia Key Beach North Point. And then there's a, a, a landfill site that's a Superfund site that's designated for parkland under the uh, the master plan for the island. And that um, hasn't been capped yet, but it's an area that's been in the process of um, being remediated. And the area in question is the area furthest to the north uh closest to where the mountain bike trails are and uh, those were trails that were built by volunteers uh virginia key bicycle club uh, folks come on site and literally built with blood sweat and tears uh, they fundraise for it 
Uh, local bike shops have put in large amounts of money to help build over nine miles of mountain bike trails. Yeah. Yep. And this is where they would be. It would uh, be right between the trails and the, the outdoor center location. And we do kayak rentals, bike rentals, uh, paddle boards, uh, programs for kids and families, environmental education, cleanups, um, which came about organically because when we got there, the condition was so horrendous that we had to clean it up. Every time it rained, big shards of glass would come out of the ground. So mm. I would always say that, that the ground was bleeding glass and we would go out there and pick it up yeah. so that, you know, it became a usable space. Um, and we have an area where... We have healthy grass beds uh, where, you know, the rest of Biscayne Bay and further north in the state, we have a huge manatee die off. Uh, right. But in here, there there's food for them. So they come and we're getting more numbers than any year before. So it, it we thought, well, let's make sure that people know how to be in the ocean with these animals because they are federally protected. Mm -hmm. And so we started offering tours and we worked with the Save a Manatee program uh, for guidance. And it became a, a really... It was an educational process for us and, and for them to an extent as well. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it was important that the, for me, it was always important coming into this public space uh, to make sure that we provided a good public access. Right. And uh, I'm proud of what we've done. And, uh, uh, you know, if it all goes away tomorrow, mm -hmm. I can still go to bed at night and know that we did something good. Yeah. You know, obviously, I hope it doesn't. But we, this is a risk. And it's at risk of taking away Miami's only beaches and a large part of our history. Definitely. Yeah. It, for those that are new to Miami, as we've seen a lot of people make Miami their home now, this is a place that, like you said, it, it carries a lot of history. And it's a, a safe haven for families, you know, and bikers, everybody to just be outdoors and enjoy a little bit from the hustle and bustle of the city. I mean, you know, we've heard that this is um, for the elite well, it's funny because, you know, Miami's technically the city beautiful, right. but yet there's a lot of not so beautiful things about it. When you compare yeah. the city of Miami to other cities in the United States and how they're especially dealing with the homeless issue, we have a really, a really bad history in terms of it. So, for example, um, our commission, right, we have five commissioners that they are responsible to pass laws that are going to improve or better our conditions. Now, why they make the decisions they do, that's something that we'll dive into. But before we start getting into that, I kind of want to open it up for us to talk about how we got to this point, right? How this proposal came to be and kind of what were some alternatives that have happened in the past. Yeah, because when whenever I, for example, when I heard about this, I was like, is this real? How is this even like an option? I I couldn't understand. And I'm sure I'm not the only one with that reaction. You're not. There, so, there are almost 15,000 people with that reaction that exactly. have signed a petition saying, don't do this. And yeah. not only because it's a bad idea for the island, but because it's a bad idea for the homeless folks that they're supposedly trying yeah. to. It's just a bad idea all around. Yeah. So, what do you expect when governments get involved in something? Better. I expect better. I mean, this home. I mean, going back to 1992. That's the that's the year that I went to Washington. And I left Miami to go to school, and I go back and forth a lot because I have a lot of family in Miami, and I grew up down there, and I know Virginia Key well. And when I had heard about this a few few weeks ago, when it first went public, I was like wondering, wait a minute, isn't Miami Miami Dade County the town that 
the year I left down there and I went, uh, there was a whole task force that was put together that I think led to the creation of the homeless trust of Miami-Dade County. They're taxing 1% or something like that on some businesses to address the homeless issue. So when I saw certain politicians down there conflate the Virginia key issue with this homeless issue, I don't, I couldn't quite figure that out. And maybe your guest can, can kind of give us some of the background, how we even got to this point, because we're taxing people. We're raising money. The community, you could tell there's a disconnect here. And it's one of the things I learned in Washington over a long, long time. There's a lot of money that's put aside to deal with this problem nationally. But if you look at the data, according to the, one of the leading homeless organizations, uh, Florida has a pretty good record. Miami-Dade County has a pretty good record of dealing with this problem. So if you look, just look at the numbers, if those numbers are even accurate, there's been a decline. There seems to be, though, some type of a disconnect between what these politicians are doing with land use issues, with housing. Then there was a pandemic all the way through all this process. And frankly, this whole open borders, sanctuary city politics that pretty much has been Miami-Dade County open doors to let people in. Don't worry about it. Everybody can come here. All that stuff has consequences over time. And now we have this little subset debate, unfortunately, where you're not only having, you know, the work that we focus on is defense of fundamental rights. Property rights are part of a, the bundle of fundamental rights. And here you have somebody who's out there trying to improve the community, using property law to help improve a part of the society and important, frankly, historic properties. And then here you have the city government making these. I think I don't I don't think they're thinking. I think I can see they're trying to just throw this out there for another reason. I think this has nothing to do with homeless people. I think somebody down there is politicizing, uh, using the homeless, abusing this, you know, this vulnerable community for some other reason. At least that's what it seems like to us over here. And I hope that you all keep fighting this because there's resources. And I think the community down there needs to talk to each other and talk to the experts. They can help. But putting people in a camp like that, how insensitive can you get? I mean, I don't even, I don't even, you know, these guys, they claim they're Republicans. These are not Republicans. These people are Republicans in name only. And uh, I, I wish I knew what happened to Miami, the Miami I knew that took care of problems and didn't create them. Uh, because that's what happened in 92, by the way. There was a whole task force that went all the way down to the state to deal with this problem. And back then, I think it was um, the Miami Herald, uh, Alva Chapman and some others who got involved, brought the private sector together, and they brought this private public project to help deal with this problem. I don't understand what's happened between then and now that we're having all these arguments, not just about homeless, but also about property rights, which, again, goes to the heart of how the economy functions in a free society. Oh, I think at first, I would have to say that our local government is a little unique because with the amount of money that circulates in the city of Miami, you're talking about a city, a municipal city, that these elections or the amount of money that gets spent for a candidate supersedes congressional districts across the United States. Wow. So this is an environment where it's pay to play. Wow. The decision making that happens with commissioners is solely funded for their interest. And I firmly believe that. I'll give you one, one quote from Joe Carroyo. Nobody wants the homeless in their backyard. So you have to understand the mentality at which they're approaching this issue. They are simply trying to put a Band-Aid so that they can get some type of advantage when it comes to the polls. There's also a key factor here. When they decided this vote, you have um, Alex Diaz de la Portilla, uh, Christine King, and Joe Correo that vote yay. 
Ken Russell and Manolo Reyes that vote against it. Before mm-hmm. the actual vote, you have Alex Diaz de la Portilla, who was actually against it. Now, why did he change his mind? Hmm. Why do you think he changed his mind? I don't know why he changed his mind, but he had a very strong and I think very accurate analysis initially where he addressed the um, the lack of the lack of of any type of true analysis and even bringing the sites. And, you know, who did they appoint? They appointed, a, I believe it was the director of human relations. And I, I mean, I don't know what what qualifications does the director of human relations have to even come up with this project? I mean, what type this is a construction project. At the end of the day, this is land that, that's nothing's there, and they're proposing to construct and build homes mm-hmm. while you still have programs and organizations like Camilla's House and the Chapman Partnership that already deal with this type of issue. Well, there's yeah. no there's yeah. no sewer service back there. The only the only service is the septic tank that we have, uh, which was permitted before the county pretty much stopped permitting septic. Uh, we have water service and we have electric, which makes my facility very desirable for for a location to do a quick flip Hmm. Um, it's when they looked uh, the city was about to invest somewhere near uh, three million dollars to build bathrooms and lifeguard offices at the beach and the reason the part of the reason that the cost got so high is because there was no sewer service back there so they had to get more creative options Uh, but the the connection had to come all the way from the rickenbacker which is two miles away and you know i can I can appreciate, especially when it comes to Christine King, I can appreciate her saying, I don't want this in my district. We have uh, a bigger issue than anyone else. Because what I did immediately after this came out is I went to Overtown to a, the Greenhaven project that we volunteered. We've taken folks out there before, and it's a community food garden. And these folks had a, um, it, the neighborhood is being gentrified. So they're, the buildings all around them are you know getting bought by developers and, and the neighborhood is shrinking. So the tension has increased. And, you know, a lot of these are, are people that work. Uh, others are folks that are on, on assistance for a multitude of reasons, uh, but it's a poor neighborhood. And they were out there. He, uh, David, one of the founders of the garden, describes it as um, they were out there with volunteers. And he said the two groups of men that neither of which owned the land were fighting over a piece of property and guns came out. So he hid the volunteers. The shooting went on for about a minute and a half. Wow. Uh, he called the police or someone called the police. I think he did. They showed up 10 minutes later. And then eventually, a, uh, about a day or so later, a homicide detective came to talk to him. So obviously somebody didn't make it out of there. But there was a young boy who lived across, who lives across the street. And he came over a few days later. And, and David says he apologized. He was like, man, I, I'm, you know, I didn't think you. I'm sorry. I should have gone and checked on you. Everyone. All right. And he goes, yeah, when the shooting started, I had to duck on the floor. Uh, and then when I came up, there were four bullets in the wall. My gosh. You know, why does that young man have to live that way? Here's this bright, conversant, charming, good looking young man of 11 years. And he went from playing his video game to ducking bullets. This is no way to live. So, I mean, I don't know if the homeless problem affects that. This didn't sound like that. It sounded, you know, a little more territorial. Uh, but what David did was he did, they put out a call to action. And, and I was I was so impressed because there were about maybe 30, 40, nah, 30 people from different grassroots organization. It was everything from the um, Circle of Brotherhood to uh, an LGBT group to 
uh, black men build, which is kind of the yin to the yang to the to you know the nation of, of Islam and and their different philosophies. There were groups of of, of mothers. There were there was a was community. community. Everyone was there, and they were there for. And everyone, even though everyone had different philosophies, they were all there for a common purpose. Right. And it was it was beautiful because what we did was we went door to door because David wanted to make sure that the people that lived there knew that they weren't forgotten and that there were resources there for them. They had food. Um, it was moving because, you know, I've had I've had hard times in, in my life where. I had to deal with um, addiction. My my second husband was a heroin addict. And I know what that does to a family and how it bankrupts you. And, and how, you know, it, it kind of creeps up on you. And, you know, we, we, we made it through that. And I raised my children after that by myself. Um, I have a wonderful husband today, thank God. Um, but I w- I, it re- when I was out there, it made me feel even more privileged than I knew I was and that I had people that were able to help me. And I, and I saw these people and they didn't have anybody to help them. And what David did that day in bringing everyone out was he, he told them you're not alone. And these people, many of them, and I get a little emotional, many of them stumbled over because they had difficulties walking. Um, They came to, to this garden to, to meet people and to have community and, and to have a meal. When I was walking back, um, there were three ladies walking out and one of them was just, she was just talking away. She was all smiles and, and she's she stuck because she was missing her teeth on top and on the bottom. And she had a big smile. So you could, you know, but she was happy and she's, they're all carrying food containers to take home. And she says to one of them, can you believe it? They had hot food and sandwiches and it was good. And we can eat from here for three days. Wow. And the other one who was, you know, just kind of walking, looks at her and kind of smiles. She says, yeah, we don't get paid and rents due. We can eat here for a week. Mm. Rents due. I don't get paid. This is this is someone who works for a living, who probably has to get on a bus and travel two hours to get to a job mm-hmm. where she's going to be treated poorly to make insufficient wages um, to provide for the elite. And. And she she didn't have enough, and and there was this this pure moment of joy in in having a meal, and it it made me feel so privileged and so fortunate that you know I made a commitment with with my team and and said we're we're gonna have to come back more, and we're gonna have to help them, or however we can, even if it's you know we do kayak and bikes and and paddleboards, if it means that that I can do a fundraising event to help bring funds so that you can provide the services that you're providing. Or if you have volunteers that, that need to do what people do on Virginia key and go out and, and just restore their, their soul, their mind, their, their, their energy um, so that they can continue doing the good work they're doing, then, you know, maybe I can offer that. Um, if you have kids that have never amazing. And we do this, we do this on our own because we bring an, a community group out every year. And we more than one actually, and and we take them out, and these it's amazing how many of these kids have never been to a beach. They live in the inner city in Miami, away from the coast. Many in the on the coast, honestly, and they've never been to a beach. So we go out there and and we sh- we teach them that this is safe and it's okay. You can get in the water, and you know, and, and it's a beautiful thing. And and we've been so when I say that I'm proud of what we've done, 
I I want to provide more opportunities because this is so vital. Everybody comes here for this. And we have a segment of our population that has been born here, grown here, and will die here. And they don't get to experience the best parts of Miami. And it's a shame. Mm. We have to do better. So when you ask, what do I, what, one of you asked, what do we expect from our politicians? I expect better. We're here, you know, they represent the people. Represent the people. Let's put all the nonsense, all the partisan nonsense aside. I, I mean, you know, the, the bike club, the bike club, nine miles of trails, again, blood, sweat, and tears. And, and the comment I hear is that, oh, their address is in Hialeah. It's a mailing address. What do you think they do? Build the mountain bike trails in Hialeah and bring them in by car in the middle <laughs> of the night? I mean, I don't get that. What's, what's you know, I, I don't understand it. What is the point there? I right. mean, these people are on site. They're doing work yeah. for free. You should be helping them. Right. Facilitating their efforts. Yeah. They take kids out there. We teach them how to ride. Uh, they do like a community events. Uh, they do scouting. A lot of scouting groups go out to do community service work, both with them and with us. And um, yeah, you know, we're all working together to to do something. And at the same time, because I think you made a really important point when you, when you were talking about conservatism and, and so forth. These are not fiscally responsible plans. Especially not the one that they're proposing. No, we're we're looking at spending the absolute most to provide the absolute least. Yeah. And then yeah. and then the comparison is, well, the mountain bike club doesn't pay anything to be here. What do you pay? But it's about what what value you bring to the community. Oh, there, there's if you had to pay, if you had to pay them or us or any of the other um, organizations that come in to help the community, to help our, our shorelines, to help our beaches, to help our wildlife, which incidentally it is it feeds tourism. It, yeah. it it people come here, and and I say it all the time, and no one wants to recognize it. People come here and stay here longer for what we offer, because. We've been able to create a safe environment in which you can see wildlife. Is it going to be there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 350, whatever days a year, <laughs> 65, except for leap year? Right, right, right. <laughs> no, it's not. But on a consistent basis, it, it is. And and it lets you have that. My God, it, it's it's original Florida. And I think it's so vital that that we protect it. And and, and then even, even for the historic Virginia Key Beach Park, uh, they're getting ready to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars building a civil rights museum. And the the their entrance, their rear entrance is 0.7 miles from that location, a five minute walk. But you know what? You know, what's so fascinating about that museum that that was proposed in 2019 by our current mayor. Yep. So then I ask, why is it that he hasn't been as vocal on this issue now? Right. If you look at the dynamic between the mayor and the commission, the commission creates laws. And the mayor either says yay or nay. Mm -hmm. So he could have vetoed this. Yeah. He could have stopped this. So my guess is there's a big reason politically as to why he did it. Right. So now I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about the homeless issue, which is. This isn't a one solution, one policy, one thing that you can do that's going to say it's done. But I can definitely point to ways in which. This isn't going to solve the homeless issue. So let's say that this is built on those lands. You're six months in. You have the 50 plus houses uh, or 100 plus houses. Sheds, uh, no? Shed, They're well, sheds. Well, well, however, you know what I'm saying? Little bunk out, out houses, however it looks. 
How do you see Virginia Key, you know, how does it transform? It if, doesn't. If that goes, like what, it, what happens to the it, island? What happens to the services? What happens to the people coming in? And how and how is your business affected by it? So, well, it's done, but, you know, I'm probably done anyways because I, I have a big mouth and I've spoken up. So now you're going to hear all sorts of crazy stuff about me. That's some of it may be true, but I guarantee that there's nothing there that didn't start or ends with the city of Miami that's wrong. But regardless, it's, we move we move beyond that. Um, if you were to build, let's say that you had a great program. And the program itself was wonderful. Um, and you had like these 50 to 100 tiny homes that had actual independent living opportunity for them, which these don't. And, and you had a really pretty fence around them, you know, really pretty chain link fence. And that you the, the, the security guards were dressed in casual, pleasant clothing as opposed to looking like, you know, militia. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, the, the way that it was described is that they would bust these people in after they get released. And then they would go through an intake process so that they could filter out the uh, folks that are on the uh, you know sexual predator list, I guess. And then you could voluntarily stay. So let's say that you voluntarily stay and then, then there are actually all these mobile services. Uh, the reality is, from what I've learned, is that most of the folks that are, because again, this is not just someone who lost their home because the rent were too, was too high and, and their jobs didn't pay enough. This is for the chronically shelter-resistant homeless population. So these are folks that already have issues with going into a shelter situation or have had violence problems and gotten kicked out or or just are, you know, in such a dire condition that they need more support. Um, so let's say that someone goes in there and, and most of them are dual diagnosis, meaning mental health or substance. And it, it doesn't matter which one came first. The reality is they both exist. So you have someone that's kicking drugs. They're in this place with a mobile medical facility and, and they go into withdrawal. Mobile facility doesn't treat withdrawal. You're talking about life-saving treatment that, that's often required. But that's not even the problem. Let's say that all that works. You're still having, and I believe, and don't, I'm not 100% on the number, that they said that they were releasing about 800 people a month from county jail, which means that they're going you know, they're in and out. A lot and of that, people go to halfway houses. Well, they would go to Virginia Key, they go through the intake, you stay in the program. But what about the ones that don't want to go in the program? And those right. are probably the most dangerous ones. Yeah. Those are the ones that we have to worry about. Virginia Key already has a history of having problems with homelessness. When when Jimbo's was there, as cool as Jimbo's was in its day, in the end, it was squalor. It was mm -hmm. horrible. Um, when the city and the city worked hard to get rid of it because of, of the, the drugs, the violence, the prostitution, everything that, that shouldn't be there was there. And it's unfortunate because it, it diminished the legacy of Jimbo Luznar. And he had like the super cool place that everybody went in and hung out at. And it was always like that in between legal, not legal. But but what happened in the end, if he hadn't been suffering from from Alzheimer's, I think he. I I mean, obviously, my opinion, I, I think he would have been going insane about it because yeah. they, they destroyed everything. It, it wasn't any it wasn't quirky. It was just. It was out there. But anyways, the, um, you know, there, there are places for people to live. They're, they're wooded areas, heavily wooded areas. So, you know, folks that are in, in crisis are already living in the outdoors. What is to prevent someone from going into the woods, starting a fire to cook, and on the dry season, burning down not only the, the pine forest, which is invasive, but the mangrove forest mm -hmm. and, and all the, the rehabilitation the that's been happening. Frost Museum of Science was out there with their MOVE program, and they've invested countless dollars in, in restoring that North Point area. 
Um, I mean, it's all gone. Why this? But, but hold on, because you know what else happens, in my opinion? They're creating a dangerous condition. They're putting people out there. And it, what about the drug dealers that come to prey on them? Because, again, you were saying, you know, this is our vulnerable population. People don't understand what that means. Yeah. yeah. They get preyed on all the time. So you you bring folks in that are preying on these people. You're now kicking out the the population, the working people of Miami from the beaches, uh, from the park. And they'll stop bringing their kids. They'll stop bringing their girlfriends. Uh, first, the women will start coming. Then eventually the men will stop coming because, you know, the, the incidence of violence will increase. And then eventually mm-hmm. they'll do what they did at the historic park, which is say, oh, look, nobody uses it. we got to close it down. Right. Because you you made it so difficult to be there. And now you have this, this large park that's closed down. And, oh, woe is me. What do we do? The park is closed. We now have the sewer line that we played millions and millions of dollars for. And, you know, some some heroic developer comes in and says, I want I'll save you. I'll put up a luxury high rise. And in the back, we'll put affordable housing facing the sewage plant, which by then, by the way, deep well injection is finished and the smell is pretty much gone. But we now have an ugly view. So we put, you know. The people we don't care about in the back and we sell the multi-million dollar uh, units in front to people that don't understand the sensitivity of the area. They move in. A hurricane comes, wipes everything out. Um, our insurance market crashes. And who's left paying for it all? All of us. All of us. You know, this whole story just, I mean, homeless, I think, are being used as scapegoats in this I think this has Weaponized. nothing to do with, has nothing to do about the homeless and the unsheltered people. I think there's something to do with problems that you're seeing all over the country, Dallas, Los Angeles, San Francisco. Here in South Florida, in in in, in your neck of the woods, it's you know, it's maybe politically incorrect to say this, but it's a problem that's been coming for a long time because of open borders, lack of border security. Uh, they fight Ron DeSantis for trying to fix the problem. You get a bunch of people going after him in federal court and doing all these things. All that stuff conflates. It reaches down to the point where these local politicians, frankly, all of them should be thrown out of office. Republicans, Democrats, they have failed. If this is how they respond to something that they've known about for a long time, not in my neighborhood, and then kick them off to Virginia Key without consulting the community the way they did, or the way you describe how this vote happened, which frankly, I mean, I don't know if this is America or a banana republic or what's going on here, uh, how that vote happened, then they have no business being in office. They have all this money. They have all these great groups. They have Camilla's House. They have many other organizations that want to help. I don't think they're talking to them. They're if not. they were talking to them, this would not have happened. I doubt many of these advocates would have said, okay, let's put people out here in some camp somewhere. I mean, that's just so, first of all, it's insensitive. But secondly, it's a health problem, not just for them. It's for the community. It, it's creating, in other words, they're breaking their own laws to try and do something because maybe they want to make way for developers. Look, I'm shocked. I'm happy for Miami, by the way. I see the growth. I see the opportunity, but I have family members. This is a little personal for us because I have family members who are hardworking people down there, spent their whole lives working good jobs. They can't find affordable housing in Miami. Their rents go from $2,000 a month to $5,000 a month to $8,000 a month, and they got nowhere to go. And then they start and put two and three people, two and three families in homes. And it's as if nothing. Doesn't matter. Let more you know, no problem. The big push now is for co-housing units, so that you can room with, so that you can share an apartment with a total stranger. Co-housing? You mean with total? Like, is that legal? No, no. But check this out. (laughs) But check this out. In in one of these commission meetings, 
um, last year, Joe Carollo jokingly and almost very mockingly said that we should create an uh, adopt a homeless program where the city would pay you to house somebody that's having housing insecurities as a, as almost a, as a remedy. Wow. So th- there's a couple of reasons why, why an individual could be experienced homelessness. Right. Um, and it's not just life decisions. It's not just work. It's not just family. Any, anybody can be one bad decision, one right. death, one instance Illness. away from being in this. It's a position. circumstance that can happen to yeah. anybody. Yeah. Listen, yeah. it takes anyone. we know we know what the cost anyone, of health care yeah. is in this country. It's it's one accident. It's mm-hmm. one illness, not even directly, just a family right. member. And I thank you for bringing that up because we want to make sure we're clear on that. We're not coming at this from a judgmental place or uh, on the contrary, we want to explore the root of the issue and really think about what this means for everybody across the board, Mm -hmm. not just the people that don't like it. You know, and, and obviously this topic is something that can be very politicized as we, as, as we've all mentioned, but there's an environmental impact Mm -hmm. on this proposal. This impacts businesses. This also impacts tourism. Right. And you can view it from different lens. So I'd like to focus on one lens, the social lens first. Right. Um, Jason brought up a good point that this is very insensitive. I think the reason this is insensitive is because you're just putting a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. Like this doesn't address the root of homelessness. Again, this is a tree that has many different roots. And it's very mm-hmm. hard to say this one line is the reason why 50% of all homeless population in Miami doesn't have a house or doesn't have home or doesn't have work. There's a, there's a variety of things, but in this plan, there is no, there is no type of job training, no type of screening, no type of vetting that says, we understand you're in this condition, but how, what are we going to do to get you out of this condition? Mm-hmm. Because the way how I see it, when you say a quote, like nobody wants homeless in their backyard, I'll just put you in another backyard. That's not mine. Right. And that's pretty much how I see this, this being, you know, Miami is obviously on the up, up and up. We're getting a lot of migration from New York, from California. Our prices are going up and we're having new Miamians. When you look at other cities and the homeless problems that they're having, I believe that some cities kind of like, so when I was in California working petition projects, I saw the elected officials there and they would create um, community-led organizations that were funded by local governments that would actually go and provide services directly. I don't see any type of those being proposed. And I mean, like you can use tax dollars with a nonprofit that will go to these camps, get them out of camps, get them resources and make sure that they have food, clothes, water and resources and job training. There's one organization in particular that I want to point out, which is Goodwill South Florida. Goodwill South Florida employs the largest community of homeless and disabled individuals in in South Florida. So where are the connections to Camilla's house um, and well, well, really more the government because Camilla's house all, already has these kind of vetting and job, uh, you know, job yeah, um, pathways. pathway programs. Yeah. But what I'm saying is that's a way cheaper solution. So, Jason, I wanted to ask you a little bit about property, like just how expensive could this be to, to create these housing? Because you got to build the house. You got to build the sewage in a place that has no They're sewage. mobile. Right. Yeah, I mean that's that's the sort of thing. It's it's an awesome observation, a great a great point that I wanted to connect to some of our international work. When when the U.S. government does foreign aid programs, for example, that we do disaster housing, 
that sort of thing. It's a lot more organized than what I'm seeing here. But the point is, Miami-Dade County, city of Miami, it's not as if they don't have the laws and the regulations and the money already in place to help serve that community and be able to create this solution that's not government-driven. And I can't quite understand how back in the 1990s, when you had the governor, you had a whole commission that dealt with this thing, you have the uh, the homeless trust, there's money going into that. That is not a, a freebie, folks. People are being taxed. There's a food and beverage tax that gets imposed on, on businesses that uh, food and restaurants, uh, entertainment, I think that make four or $500,000 a year. Where is that money going? Who is working on these projects? Look, I have a quick little anecdote for you. And again, I'm not going to use names because I don't want to get people in trouble. But I was talking to someone, a family member of mine was talking to someone in Miami-Dade County government about this housing issue down there, the crisis that they're having. And I was told that there are people living in Camilla's house right now that are grossing $100,000 a year and have nowhere to go. And they're being forced into this situation because they can't find affordable housing or housing prices that are somewhat within market range. We don't know what's causing that. You guys would know better. But what I can't quite understand is where are the leaders down there? I understand, look, if I'm a property owner in South Florida, taxpayers want to feel safe. They want to have clean streets. I get all that. We want to have security. We want to have our police officers and law enforcement focusing on, on where there's the most need. At the same time, you want to be able to make sure the fundamental rights of all our, you know, all our citizens are taken care of. Where are the leaders trying to come up with solutions to these problems, not setting up an encampment that would not be within the current? I mean, you couldn't allow a private company to do what these people are proposing to do, from what I've read, in Virginia Key. So why are they even proposing this, number one? And secondly, how are they using existing programs to help address this problem? And what are the real numbers that we're talking about? By the way, some folks who are unsheltered don't want to be forced to live in certain places. And guess what? If they don't want to live there, we shouldn't be forcing people to live there. So there, there's there's, there's a, a, a give and take to this. Homeless issue is a centuries-old problem. We're not going to fix it overnight. But South Florida has done a pretty good job. The state of Florida has done a pretty good job to deal with this. Where are the leaders in this community stepping up and challenging these politicians from making these reckless statements and wasting taxpayers' time and using the homeless? Because they're using the homeless issue, I think, for another issue. I don't know what that is, but it's their elections. If, if that's even more, that's even more outrageous. But it, I thought, you know, I thought they're maybe trying to do a land grab down there or something. But it, my point is that you have all these programs, you have a tax that's supposed to be used for this sort of thing. Millions of dollars go to this every year. Is civil society in Miami being consulted for and being because this doesn't seem like they were. Uh, so what? So what's where are the leaders down there? What's happening? Why aren't they trying to come up with a solution? Then these, like you said, Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. It's an election. Before we dive into elections, because that's going to be a big one. I'm sure you guys have seen as we drive through certain parts of Miami, these um, abandoned homes, buildings, condos, you know, they're all boarded up. Right, they, they are boarded up. Yeah. Why aren't we using any of those? Like exactly. The one, like the one yeah, exactly. Airport. Like, They're yeah. all over in Wynwood, the in the good. Grove. Yep. I've seen them. You know, even even there are parts of Little Havana. When I was down there in April, I had, yeah. I had I had not been Little Havana in a long time, and it's changed completely from when my family came from Cuba back in the fifties and sixties. There are whole buildings shuttered up. Why aren't developers yep. saying, "Hey, or get look, deregulate, 
okay, deregulate, give tax incentives, give developers, incentivize them to go in there, create housing, do something. They got land. You know, we got land to do this with. You got old buildings to do this with. Why aren't you, de- you deregulating? Why aren't you giving people tax incentives, get in there and fix the problem? Not doing this sort of thing that frankly is, 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 is outrageous that you're using the homeless people for political reasons, if that's what's going on down there. Because you have developers that are accumulating vast areas of land and then seeking SAPs to put in entire projects. What's an SAP? Special area plan. Special area plan. See, I'm not familiar with that. So could you guys educate me on that a little bit? It has to be larger than, um, I don't know if it's five or eight acres, something like that. Uh, But then they can seek um, special zoning and special... Oh, they get special permission Mm -hmm. to be able to build a higher building because I have more land or something like that. And one of the issues is a lot of... uh, There was an SAP that came up in uh, Commissioner de la Portilla's uh, district that got deferred um, that goes into where the Miami Produce Mart is. And and you see that's an area that's just like that. It's all, you know, boarded up because a developer has bought all this area and they want to put in a big project. Uh, That's one of the projects that has the... It was like over two, I think it was over 2,000 units. And I don't know if that's actual apartments or individuals or rooms for that co-housing. Um, but it's a large area. And, you know, these are buildings that are going to sit there for a long time, untouched, unused, while they get redeveloped. And, and then you get into a discussion with what's good development and what's not. Um, you have climate gentrification, which is real. You have gentrification in, in lower income neighborhoods where folks are losing their homes because we're putting Little in, you know, West yeah, you know, and, and what happens next? But one of the big things that's happening to some of these areas, uh, a butt city park property, and sometimes they get that piece of land so that they can finish the project. And then they put in, uh, you know, replacement park space. And one of the things that, you know, I keep hearing is this rooftop park thing. What I'm, like, I'm like, wait a minute. You're replacing actual parkland where children can run and play games and, and you can, you know, sit there with a blanket, whatever. You do park things and you're putting it on a rooftop on a high rise and calling that a park, a public park. That's not accessible. How? how that well, they say, oh, you can access it really hard. Do I have to show you my ID to get up the elevator? Or I have to look it's here. a patio. Yeah. First of all, it's a patio. And and second of all, it's not really, it's not real public access. It's like, I'm going to build a public park, but in front of it, I'm going to put up a massive wall and then I'm going to put this one little door and everybody can walk through, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to watch. I'm going to have a bodyguard there. And if you don't live here, you can't go. Sorry. You got to go to the other part. Right. A, I really do want to get into the whole election. Let's do it. Because one of the things that I've noticed, especially and I really do hold the belief that most elected officials are doing it for the right reasons. Like I'm not, I don't want to have the framework of like mm-hmm. everybody's evil and you know, politics is, is a, is a zero sum game for, in order for me to win, you got to lose or right. somebody has to lose. And kind of in our system, there's that compromise. So the way how I see this proposal is a lot of compromise. And by compromise, I don't mean of the issue. I mean, politically. Mm-hmm. So here's what I mean. The biggest thing here is why did DLP switch his mind? Why did he change it? Because if he wouldn't have, this wouldn't be happening. He was the deciding vote. And I want to bring up a metaphor that one of my clients told me. He said, politics is like sailing. And I've, I've never sailed. I, it's, I live in Miami, but I, I'm, I never go on boats. But <laughs> it, it's, it's like sailing. There's really two ways to sail. 
you either sail so close to your opponent or your, you know, your adversary that if the wind were to blow in any direction, it affects you both the same way mm-hmm. or you sail the other direction and hope the wind screws, the wind screws him over and then you get the lead. Right. In this analogy, I think DLP is sailing so close to Joe Carollo because mm. both of these gentlemen have the intent to run for mayor in 2025. So DLP, I, I believe in his heart, like in his heart, he knows this is a bad idea. He knows that this isn't good. And like you said but earlier. But why would he risk upsetting so many people in But that's the, the thing. City. He's not upsetting no voters. He's not upsetting anything. It's that Joe Carollo would have an advantage over him in a scenario where, well, look, my opponent here doesn't care about homeless people. Right. My opponent here. But neither here, does he. Not, but just but check me out. You have to understand the framing here. Yeah. Forget what the implications are. Let's talk about what I can put right. on a flyer. It's one of those. What I, I have can, a plan, whether it's good or bad, doesn't matter. I just it, have a it plan. Doesn't, it doesn't matter what it is. Right. I, I am championing homeless issues because look at what I proposed in the legislation. Forget, forget what it does. Forget what it is. My opponent didn't do anything. He actually voted against it. Good plan, bad, bad plan. He has no plan. I have something. Mm-hmm. So this is what I mean by DLP. Diaz Lopertia is sailing so close hmm. to his opponent that th- whatever the wind blows, However it pulls, doesn't matter. We have the same look. We have the same face. You did something about the homeless. So did I. We're not talking about what it is. It's about I am participating in this issue. By him voting for it, he can't or or Carroyo in the future can't say my opponent doesn't. He has nothing on this. No, he does. He voted for the same thing I did. Right. And vice versa. So interesting. Yeah. And that's kind of how I see it. Like. Forget your politics. Forget what you think. How is this going to play out to a voter base? How is this going to go? Because at the end of the day, let's say it passes. Let's say, because again, you have to play hypotheticals. What happens if it does? What happens if it doesn't? How does the environment shift? Let's say it doesn't. The environment doesn't move. Let's say it does. The environment still doesn't move. Because whichever way the wind blew, we're still going the same way. So if you know that your adversary is going to take a direction, and if you know that going the opposite could harm you, I'm not going to I'm not going to sail the other way. The only reason I'm sailing the other way is if I know that the direction that it's blowing, the wind's blowing is the wrong one. You, you see that kind of yeah. the games of thrones in mm-hmm. there like, yeah, it's not about the issue. Right. Which is so sad. So, so, so to Jason's point, I really it's politicized. It's not about what's better for the homeless. What's better for how much money? It doesn't matter. What matters is how is this going to play out before voters? How can I portray my efforts in the most favorable light? Because right now, all I see here is two per, two prospective candidates that are tackling and combating the homeless issue. I mean, look, if you had if you had politicians down there, like starting with the city of Miami mayor, who I think is more concerned about saving his political hide than doing his job, I think. You wouldn't have problems like these because, again, it's there's, I don't see leaders. I just see politicians angling on election to see who's going to hold the seat of who. I mean, you have people here who are the sons and daughters of former politicians. It's like they hand these seats around and you don't get new blood in there. You get these people who've been in power forever. I think all those people got to be removed 
They got to be thrown out. You got to bring new people in, a new generation of leader down there that's not concerned about doing this voter, you know, seat. I, I hate to say it, but it's like they're, they're, they're like uh, laundering their seats. You know, OK, you go next. I go next. Yeah. I go here. I go there. I mean, what is that? I mean, well, they it, should it's, 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 it's embarrassing. Well, well, respectfully, they, they they get groomed for their seats. You see this in elections all of the times. In in a prior election, a former um, legislative aide gets groomed to replace the the representative who she works for. But how could she not? With wow. the four the two four years of all of the political leveraging and and networking that one can do. So I do agree with you, but I hold a, ve- a way more starker opinion of the reality to <laughs> beat this dynasty. Because at the end of the day, this is uh, we all seen Game of Thrones. Yeah, we've all seen Game of Thrones. We're waiting for these the- are these are family. <laughs> you've, heard, you've heard the last <laughs> names. You know the names. And again, power needs to stay in the family. We keep the family close. Now, in one of the elections that I worked in, we came very close to 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 being the usurpers. Mm-hmm. The ones that will remove you from power. But unfortunately, and this and I just want to kind of talk about like Miami's voters in general. Yeah. Unfortunately, the older you are, the more likely you are to vote. And huh. the older you are in Miami, the more Republican you are. And again, when I'm not I'm not here to talk about politics, but I'm here to talk about contadito. It's a reality. Listen, Jason, when I come here, you're killing me. I, you're killing me, man. You're killing me with that. I am voting for yeah, you. Yeah. But but here they made a mistake, I think. And that's that they underestimated. Yeah, they overreached where him. they were going. They didn't think that anybody would push back and they didn't understand just how beloved this island is. Mm-hmm. And how I mean, look at people that. are that there's always a harebrained idea coming yeah. down the path. They manage they manage with this harebrained idea to upset the left and the right, the residents, the, everybody. Yes. You just upset I, I have, everyone. I have never seen, and I keep saying this, I have never seen so many facets, different facets of a community come together this aggressively, this united on an issue. This isn't a people that want to use a park issue. This isn't a homeless advocate issue. This isn't everyone in Miami issue. People are like, stop, just stop. And they're still sitting there going, we're going to pause it. <laughs> I will say it, for six months, the same six months that we need to to buy the the sheds. I, wow. I will say it is impressive because you do bring something up. Unfortunately, we're not a very politically active community, no, right? No, it really is like a we are it, now. It's an acquired it's an acquired taste, right? Like yeah. nobody's really <laughs> out here going to protest like that. But then if you talk about kind of like when the state locked down the BLM movement. And, and, and of course, that's a national, these are national issues. This is obviously hyper-local. But if you, if you guys go to your Instagram page, you guys had hundreds of people come out to protest the Virginia Key. It was amazing. We had initially, I, I looked out and it was about 250 people. Within about a half hour, there were about another 100 that showed up. And then as the day progressed, easily, easily we went 450, 500 people. And, and they spread on it. And it is a large area. So you get that many people there and it just, they just spread. And it's, and these were not just mountain bikers and and paddlers. These were people that go to the beach and people that run the trails and people that just come to hang out. I mean, it was everyone. I got old ladies that come during the week that that couldn't come out. We have have thousands of emails from people supporting us. And, And it's really, I never, you know, I'm getting older. 
um, my husband's had some health setbacks. He, he and and we're you know we were talking about starting to wind down, and and this comes up and and I find myself thrown into this, and oh, I yeah, said you know does. I said what the hell, somebody has to stand up for this. Well you know what have I got to lose? I got nothing to lose here. Yeah. Because if you if you push this through for whatever reason, and, and let's say for the sake of argument that this is truly uh, an altruistic, benevolent plan, okay? Right. I, I'm still like screwed. I have the best of intentions. I'm screwed. Well, we mm. do. The programs that we offer, you know, and and if I'm sure people are going to come out and call me all sorts of things. Go at it. I, I You know, who cares? It, it's when I go to bed at night, I sleep soundly knowing that I've done good things. And it's a shame that I can't continue to do it. For a multitude of reasons. And and they're within their right at some point in time in the near future. Not now, because my lease is not up. But at some point in the near future, they are within their right to tell me they don't want to do business with me anymore. However, I think that goes back to poor leadership and poor management. You know, how do you how do you actually take a, a public-private partnership that actually works, mm-hmm. that actually does the things that P3s are supposed to do, and tell them, ah, yeah, forget it. No, you're never you're, mind. You're brave. Yeah. Uh, maybe no, I'm just I'll, dumb. I'll tell, I'll I'm just dumb. Why. No, no, no. I'll tell you why. Because now that now that you brought that up, I'm like, oh wait. So in a year you gotta a year. Re- you gotta reapply for the lease to the same people that just told you that, hey, um, so I, I kind of have a follow-up to that. How do you think you know when this when this airs, when this when this when obviously we circulate this because we obviously have the intention of circulating this? How do you think? They're gonna react to you, and and. Well, I don't think I know how they're reacting to me. She's already seen it. I'm seeing it. Right I had now. code enforcement hanging out on Monday when the film crews uh, hung out to try to get the live in action, you know, bust. They they left and then they came back and parked mm-hmm. in our, our rear lot and they were there a few minutes and then another film crew came, showed up and, I, and, I and then they left. And I can imagine before this issue, you hadn't seen code enforcement that much at all. At all. So this brings. I had auditors pop up on Friday out of the blue. Out of the blue. Because you know what? They are visiting all the the city concessions. Listen, all of a sudden, I'll never, I'll never turn down uh, an opportunity to 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 say my piece on Joe Carollo, but it's a known fact, and there and there were actually cases on this that were brought to the city of Miami of Joe Carollo using code enforcement, Miami-Dade police officers to intimidate businesses, particularly Ball and Chain. Mm-hmm. The relationship that Joe Carollo has with Bill Fuller, the owner of Ball and Chain, right there on Calle Ocho, yeah. is, is so vast that this man is now taking him to the Supreme Court. Yeah. So we, we, we're we working with individuals that... A Ball and the, Chain, not... Sorry to interrupt yeah. you, but just for people that um, a lot of our listeners are new to Miami, it's a historical venue it's it's where you go if you're trying to get the best mojito it's where you go it's been there for what 40 something years it's been there for a while. I've only by the way it's pretty good it's really hot <laughs> <laughs> but it was packed it was packed inside it was full of people yeah but the yeah. point is a this has a um it's it's in one of the most touristic like l- locations in in miami and there's beef between the commissioners and business owners. So if you're talking about a productive government, why is it that that the actual government is intimidating business owners? Why is it that you're having cops, off-duty cops, stake out a business to just try and catch something, anything? 
and this has been caught. This isn't been that killed. isn't that what they did in Communist Cuba? Exactly. It's just, and let it's me so ask you, let, let me ask you guys something yeah. because by the way, stop teasing me with those patelitos. Take them out of the shop. <laughs> only, Listen, if you, only if you vote for me. We, You're the killing only, me, man. The only You're thing ki- worse is that I can smell them. <laughs> oh, I'm, and, and 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 between the coffee and the and the and the guayaba, I could probably I've gained like five pounds just looking at it. But <laughs> but say, look. I, I've been out of the Miami political scene for a long time and, and I'm hearing you all talk and I'm learning so much about what's happening down there. And man, that frustrates the heck out of me because to hear this sort of thing still happening in such a beautiful community with wonderful people. I mean, yes. I have fun. I mean, I was born and raised down there and I love it. And I hear this sort of thing. And you just said something that struck struck a chord. It's like, what is this communist Cuba? Like we're 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 going out there and using power and thuggery. And I mean, you, you would to, think to we would things. have learned from our yeah, experience right. that this is we, not how we govern. You don't do that. And and you don't, you know, you don't, um, you know, my family's Cuban. I was born here. I uh, am so, Cuban. I was born there. So so, so I'll take some license to make some cultural news, some cultural observations that maybe are not politically correct. But uh, this, this sort of thing reminds me of just a certain group of in our community that has this elitist way of approaching problems. And. Frankly, it's why Fidel took over the island. You know, you had all these people warring with each other. And as for another show, we can talk about that some other time. But I'm seeing this, by the way, what gives me hope is that I'm seeing a new generation of political leaders stepping up. Like you have uh, Martha Bueno running against in the Miami-Dade County race. I think she's, in fact, I found out about this through her and some Mm -hmm. of our our conservative contacts and the whole Bitcoin world and all that, some stuff I heard about stuff happening in Miami and the race she is running and challenging. She even got the Miami Herald to endorse. I don't know how that happened. I don't believe half the stuff the Herald writes, but hey, they're right on that race. People should go out and vote for people like Martha Bueno and folks like her who are challenging the establishment. And that, that, that was my point. You have these establishment politicians, these establishment machines that think they can get away with this stuff. And I, I don't know what the voter turnout is in Miami these days, but I bet you it's, it's pretty darn it's low. It's, it's really we, low. We have more we have more voters on our on our on the petition. That, it's not our petition. It's one of the girls from the bike club put it together. Um, it, we've got more local people signing that petition than that voters that showed up. But I will tell you wow. something that those wow. people are angry. And, and they remember and they're going to show up at the polls. They, they, they have to. Sh- and, and that's that's what's great about this is that you're having a, a whole generation of new voters and new people. That that group of people that went out there to protest, that was a left right coalition. Those are people on the right. Those are people from all walks. And that's the sort of stuff that we see in Washington, by the way, when we always are trying to move big things in Washington. A lot of times you have to create these diverse, ideologically diverse groups of people yeah. to come together and push the establishment to do the right thing. And I see something like that happening in your project. And I hope people stay engaged. I hope they go out there because you got to hold these politicians to account because I see regulatory overreach. I don't see deregulation. I see abuse of the regulations and the zoning laws. And I also see potentially an unlawful infringement with, with your agreement. They're doing stuff to you that I don't have all the facts, but from what I've read, there's some legal problems there for the city as well, and they are stepping on it, as we say in Washington speak. And they're not—they're going to be the people behind the elephant at the circus. You know what those people do, right? The, they, the they people walk behind stick. the elephant. They pull huh? it with a stick. Is that what That's right. That's they right. With a stick. Yeah. And they're, picking, yeah. And they're picking up certain stuff that they're doing. So, I, I, on the one hand, it's horrible, frankly, the way they're politicizing the homeless issue because they should not be doing that to those the, the most vulnerable in our society. 
Yeah. And frankly, they should be held to account for doing that. But they're doing a lot more. And I hope that there's this new generation of folks jumping in there like you all, staying engaged, be community leaders. We need folks to jump into politics and shake up the establishment because this is how we change that system and bring new people into the system that put markets and people first, not government first. And these are people who, by the way, are living. I can't believe certain people are still in office in Miami and in mm-hmm. Miami-Dade County. I can't. These are generations of people who've been there forever. I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah. What would you say to somebody that is is maybe aware of the issue very, you know, lightly? And who heard that quote of, well, I, no one wants homeless people in their backyard. And they're like, well, you know what? Yeah, let's let's put them somewhere. How is this really going to affect us as citizens, as visitors to Miami? What impact would you say this is going to have? What impact? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I think what, what, would, ha- what would I say to them is is what I what I actually heard this from Ken Russell and I, and I agreed with him on that. It was about creating um, supportive transitional housing. Mm-hmm. So actual places where they can actually, you know, we can, the thing is, okay. So from what the professionals at work with the population say is when they're in crisis, you have to treat them in place. Right. And then move them into shelters and then move them into transitional housing. And that's where the disconnect is. We don't have enough of that transitional housing which this plan supposedly addresses. The problem is it, it, it doesn't because it's isolated. Mm-hmm. So you're away from jobs, transportation. I mean, I'm just repeating the same stuff, so I don't want to go too deeply into it. Um, but what I would say is to people that are coming in is that other cities have had successes in creating additional transitional housing, but we also have to help our home, or not our homeless people, but the people that are becoming homeless exactly. because they can't afford yeah. rate. And exactly. I mean, how much are we going to spend and how many families not people, families, can we help stay in their homes? You know, when when we start approving projects, we have to demand that there be true affordable housing, not workforce housing where you have to make like $80,000 a year to even afford the rent. Right. You know, it, well, and you know so something, something that's really, uh, and you all can share this, if, if correct me if I'm wrong on this, but something that strikes me about what I'm seeing in Florida, South Florida right now, is you're seeing a lot of working, you know, blue collar families being pushed out, yep. uh, people who've been here for generations, uh, my my parents' generation, my in-laws' generation. What's what's happening down there that these folks are being displaced and no one is trying to, um, I don't know, build new housing? Because you can only go up, right? So how far can you build? You can't go all the way into the Everglades because when you hit Chrome, it's just it's only so far you can build. Well, what are trying. folks doing? They're trying. So, me, so yeah, what are folks doing? Kind of they're, they're trying to go past Crow. Well, well, I think the Miccosukee will have something to say about that. Trust yeah. me, they're not, they're not going to let them infringe on their tribal lands. And hey, we have their back on that one, by the way. But let me ask you, I mean, what are folks doing? Are they letting people build higher? Are they are they trying to rezone to build different type of housing? Yeah. What's it's what's happening down there on that it's issue? A, it's a mix. But there's a lack of transitional zoning, for example. There. Yeah. The transition between single family to duplex, where you go to that that T three O T three R, and then you go into the you know the T four T five, that T four layer, which is like the townhouses, and you know that that's You're sort of about that's like a missing. Different type of housing units, a di- different build. density too. Right. So what's ended up happening is that during Miami twenty one, some of the areas were upzoned. So you have properties along US one that got up upzoned to. Um, 
to a zoning designation that allows buildings. And then next door, you got a house. So you got somebody that's building a zero lot line because we didn't we didn't make provisions for the homes that were there. Um, so you, and this was a, a litigation that I, I may still be ongoing, but they put up a building and the balconies were abutting the property line so that when the homeowner and, and her teenage daughter were in the swimming pool, everyone in the building was just kind of looking down at them. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, we have issues where where permits are, are issued on plans that are that violate code, and then they don't do anything about it. Uh, so that the you know there 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 was an issue in the Grove where the homes were built um, so close to the lot line that fire couldn't get to the back of the house, and instead of making them tear it down, they're like, oh, oops, was rezoning. No, they didn't rezone it. They just let it go. But heaven forbid that your shed be too close to your fence Mm -hmm. or that you cut down a tree that's sick because then they're going to come after you and find you $25,000. But when the grocery store on Coral Way that took down all the mature trees, uh, you know, clear cuts the lot, uh, they only get like a like a $5,000 penalty and they have to put them little saplings without without sufficient, you know, water or anything else. And it's just it's a joke. It's like the people that knew or should have known. Uh, get away with it, but the homeowners and the residents that that are just trying to make their space a little better, they get they get punitively penalized. And wow, it's, you know I, the other I, there was a story of a of a I'm not going to say his name um, because people may know who he is, but there's a a very well known Cuban political prisoner who spent a long time in the Gulag prison down there, mm-hmm. and he was telling me that when he came to this country six years ago. He had to live in a house, a four-bedroom house with five families in the same house. Wow. In Westchester. And they were charging them $2,000 a month per family. That's pretty what? extreme. 2000 a month per family. To share a home. To share a home. That's insane. And I was, that that's is nuts. insane. That's not and okay. By, no, it's not okay. That's, that's, not, that's okay. not, that's, that's. First of all, it's a, a slumlord situation, in my opinion, mm-hmm. because the, the, the house was apparently a complete mess. Uh, plumbing wasn't working properly. It violated, I don't know how many, code, uh, zone code, zone, or a lot of things. But the thing is that it, it, that was six years ago. I can't imagine what's happening now. And some of the, the, the folks that we've interacted with uh, who've approached us for help, um, it's, it, it's rough because it's, you, they're, they're running out of options and people are just leaving. So I don't know who said on, on on the podcast earlier the new Miami, this new Miami. What is it? Is it mm-hmm. a foreign investment haven? Is it becoming? Mm-hmm. Is it more international than U.S.? I mean, what's happening down there? What is this new Miami going to look like? Because on the outside, those of us up in you know D.C. and we see every now and then uh, all these stories about Russians and Chinese and international investors and coming in there and flooding the city with money. I mean, is it true those apartment buildings on Brickle are empty? I mean, where is this new Miami going and what is this displacement happening with old Miami? And and can you really fix it? I don't think this problem you're having in Virginia Key is I'm pretty convinced it's connected to some of this, but it's really just a band-aid fix. It's not going to correct the problem long term. And even though if you follow the numbers, the homeless numbers are still quite low and still going down. So what exactly is all this? Is it really about homelessness or is this more of the the city changing and becoming a new type of city where you're gentrifying areas of the city, uh, probably erratically, because when you drive through, again, Little Havana looks nothing like the Little Havana I grew up in, uh, to where we're going now. I mean, what is this? 
because this well, is hitting it, this is hitting in Westchester it, and it's hitting yeah. all the way out in Chrome and Kendall. I mean, we're gentrifying middle class people. You know, it's no longer a low income situation. If you work for a living, you are at risk of losing your home. And 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 we haven't even touched on taxes and insurance because listen, what happened here, That's Esther Irma was a dis and Kendall everywhere. What happened after Irma here? I don't know that this city would have survived a real hurricane. That was a tropical storm that hit us. Well, what happens if a hurricane hits Virginia Key and you have this camp there? What happens then? Well, they, they evacuate them and then the little houses are gone because mobile doesn't mean movable. Mm -hmm. It takes a long time. It takes us two days to pack our gear for a storm. We know because we have to do it often. And and that's, you know, that's just kayaks. So, who provide, so we yeah. just shove them in there. So who, provides so who provides security? I mean, who who controls? That, that would be like a government contract. So in the commission meeting, and this is where you have to ask the question of, like, how do these people use the money? Right. Because obviously you have to build the, the mobile homes. You have to build the pipes, the sewage, and, and create this environment. But then you got to have people that manage the property. You're going to need security. You're going to need amenities. It costs to manage the property that they proposed for one year, $800,000. Wow. Just, wow. just off of the potential bid that they're, that they're, and that's a rough estimate. Right. You know, so it's like. How, how many people can stay in their homes with $800,000 that you don't have to worry about them becoming homeless? Mm -hmm. Well, let me ask you, and, you know, something. And here's, here's what else. One, one more food for thought. Yeah. How much of an attractant to homeless individuals in other parts of the country is this? Yeah. It's going to be a magnet. I mean, let, let, let me ask you something. I, I feel how sorry for the people in Brickell and the roads because they're not <laughs> going to keep us game. They're going to go to the mainland. How many people are they going to put in the supposed camp that you're that they want they, to build there? In the in the commission meeting, they proposed that it would be for 150 to 200. But now that number has dropped a little bit lower. For the pilot. For the yes. pilot, 50 to 100, but then they said 150 to 200, and then they started throwing other numbers around. So, so there's no building, there's no building in Little Havana or some other community that can be retro, like updated and fixed for a 100 to 200 people. Get a, get get someone to go in there, a developer, well, well, get here, some tax here's, incentives. Here's the thing: and help them build up a facility but, but for this thing. purpose. Why why does any one neighborhood need to absorb the entirety of the problem? Well, anywhere, where, wherever this is a, a, oh. but, but boy, hold on. Stick stick with me on this one. This is yeah. a citywide problem. You know, I live in Shenandoah. We have a number of ALFs. And and at times we've had problems with aggressive panhandling and they were addressed. Why can't we have smaller pro programs that may be a little bit more costly like to operate housing. Like well, housing no, but maybe we we service, you know, uh, 20 people or 15 mm -hmm. people or 10 people and then, you know, have another group in another area because they're already there. They're living on the streets right now. Right. We're giving them a place to go where where they can shower, where they can sleep, uh, where right. they can have a, some privacy and we can start providing some services. So we're we are eliminating them from the street. But at the same time, we're not displacing them from the and, right. and I get. If there's something I learned from this whole process was the term houseless. And originally I was like, ah. but you know, <laughs> it, it is their houseless. It is. They have, yeah. Their yeah. homes are just, they have homes. They, they form these communities and mm -hmm. I wouldn't live like that. And you wouldn't live like that, but they do. And, you know, everyone deserves dignity. Well, it's a, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, that's, that's exactly it. And that's something that I've learned from the missionaries of charity and some other Catholic organizations that I know work like here in Washington, over in Washington, DC. The missionaries of charity work in some of the roughest neighborhoods in Washington, D.C. imaginable. Yeah. And the one thing they've taught me over the years is, number one, they're not homeless, they're customers. 
And that's what they call them. Mm-hmm. Right? They're customers. And second, you have to treat people with dignity and respect. You don't haul them off into some camp yeah. and say, oh, the problem's going to get fixed for all the for all the reasons you say. And you're right. If there were, and I see in South Florida, a lot of places where you can incentivize a lot of entrepreneurial folks down there, why I am certain would step up and would want to help it's if the current infrastructure can't do it and be able to deregulate, provide tax incentives and do things that preserve human dignity and move product. America has shown we can do that. We do it all over the country. We have organizations like Habitat for Humanity. We have a right. lot of organizations willing to do it. And those marginal folks who can't because they have either psychological or some other type of impediment that need help, there's there's places to have that addressed in Miami because we're blessed with a lot of great Mm-hmm. Uh, infrastructure to do that sort of thing with. I still don't understand what is happening with this Virginia Key project. Yeah. I still think it goes beyond the homeless. I think it has nothing to do with the homeless, frankly. I think that maybe it is politics, but there's a lot more there. And I hope you all stay engaged mm-hmm. and that all these groups stay active because these folks have to be held to account because it's only that way are you going to be able to change that. So we don't have to have this happen again. It's you know what else happening. we have to do? We have to take this in front of the Spanish community. Amen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you got to do that too. Yep. Because our people need to hear this too. And, and and we're not doing a good job of that. Jenny, could, could you um ask that question again that, that you that kind of brought us to this point? The, the last question you asked. Um, yes, I was curious as to what you all would say to somebody that's kind of like on the fence with the issue. Like, yeah, I don't want to look at homeless people. It, how How is it going to affect me if they dump them all in? in Virginia Key, I just won't go there. Okay. What would you say to them? What I would say is you can't view this problem black and white. You can't view this issue just because it doesn't directly affect you doesn't mean that it's not going to affect you indirectly. Right. Right. So I like to see a lot of political issues and, and just and, and not just like homeless. When you talk about like, how do you message because, you know, in elections, messaging is very important. Mm-hmm. How am I going to describe or talk about this in a way that is going to be favorable for me? And what I like to tell, um, like, the canvassers that we hire to go and talk to people is whenever you talk about issues, you kind of have to talk about it almost like like, like you're a doctor. Yeah. Like, there's a – and I don't want to say that, like – I don't want to use the word disease because that's not the right messaging – Right. There's but, symptoms. But there's symptoms. Yeah. And these symptoms come with signs. And there are things that you can do to be preventive. And there are things that once you have the issue, there's a prescription. So when you look at the causes of homelessness, we all know that it's multifactored. Right. It's not I can't just point and say my, I had a passing in my family and that's 50, 40 percent of all the homelessness in the United States is mm-hmm. a dead family member. You lost your house. And now what are you going to do? Yeah. You can't point and say it was drugs. You can't point and say I lost my job. You can't you can't even say it's a choice. You like you can't just quantify that there's no like so I I would say first and foremost anytime when you deal with this homelessness issue you need a lot of sympathy for the people going mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. But sympathy doesn't mean throw a bunch of money at an idea and hope something sticks because I promise you that's what's happening here. Yeah. Right? I honestly think that there's something Jason said, you need a lot of entrepreneurial um, endeavors. So there's one organization um, that actually when, you know, when I was at community that I did a, a, a podcast with um, Danielle and yeah. she has a group 
that actually gets together. And these are, these are just college kids. These are just college kids. I mean, I'm pretty sure they all graduated by now, but these are just, these are just young adults that come together once a week. They, they, they do like food drives and they pull it together. Imagine if she could get some type of funding and it doesn't have to be $800,000 to manage a property. Right. But there could, there could be mechanisms that the local government does to incentivize mm-hmm. either micro loans, micro, micro exactly. projects that actually will affect it. And that's just on a small scale. And I guess that we as Miami have a really negative history. And this is something I wanted to kind of open up to you guys about the, the what was it? Port, 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 portage. I always messed up the... Pottinger. There we go. There we go. There we go. So I wouldn't have gotten that no, either. No, no. The Pottinger. Because uh, Miami-Dade has had a very negative history dealing with the homeless issue. In the 80, uh, late 80s, 90s, mm-hmm. the, the police literally would just arrest the homeless population because they felt yeah. like it. Yeah. They would they would just, hey, you can't be here. Let's go. They wouldn't even take them to jail. They would just take them and move them to the outskirts of Miami-Dade and just leave them there. So there's no respect for them in that regard. And also, like, it's this culture of, you, un problema. You, this is a problem, <laughs> and I'm just going to put it somewhere else. And what was that saying that if I don't see it, it's not there? Out of sight, out of mind. There you go. And and that's kind of the same strategy that that's happening here because again, nobody wants the homeless in their backyard. So I'm just going to put it in another backyard. And yeah, but here's what you know. What everybody misses is that when they're going to locations where they can seek shelter, and when you vacate that location, somebody else is going to come and fill it. It doesn't stay empty. You know, as long as you know, I think the, the, the one takeaway, at least from from the, the conversation, one of several. And this is an amazing talk, by the way, is we can't lose sight. First of all, I think it's lack of leadership from the elected. And that's clear uh, problem. But also we can't lose sight again that you, these these are people. These are human beings that have fundamental rights. If they want to be out on the street and they're not breaking the law, just leave them alone. And and I think that you can't be ostracizing people that way just because they choose. Some of them choose to live that way. Uh, some of them don't. Uh, some of them are. But but you have to respect the individual's rights. And if they're not breaking the law and they're out doing uh, what they want to do and they're not breaking the law, you have to leave them alone. But when you do have folks falling through the safety net and you have programs already in place and you have. The amount of money, millions of dollars that are being collected from tourists, from from visitors, from people who go to restaurants, we have to hold these politicians to account and figure out ways to make the most efficient use of that tax. I'm not a big believer in taxes, but if you're going to impose them, do what you're supposed to do with them. And finally, the one takeaway from this, again, I made this parallel comparison earlier about foreign aid programs. We help build homes that are 10 times better than these shacks that they want to build for these people in foreign countries around the world all the time. And it's embarrassing that in America, we have this problem, yet we're sending billions around the world in foreign aid. And Florida politicians, Republicans and Democrats vote for these programs in Washington. All right. And we're not hearing leadership down here. This is a state, a local state and federal challenge. And I don't see leaders coming together. I just see the, the these these rifle shot uh, insensitive, because I'm, and frankly, I don't know. I'm, I'm a Republican, and I'm embarrassed that these people claim to be Republicans and talk the way they do about people like these disenfranchised folks, people on the margins of our society. 
that's not the people in my party that I, I don't want people like that in my party. And they should all register another party and go somewhere else because I don't they're not really Republicans if that's the way they speak. But there is there are solutions to this. We're blessed with a lot of resources and we need leaders and the people protesting what's happening in Virginia Key. I think we're going to have leaders come out of there and we're going to have people who I think should run for office and challenge these people. And now the battle lines are drawn. And I think you should fight hard and stand your ground down there and force them to come out. When was the last town hall meeting? That Not virtual, not a Zoom meeting. When was the last time there was a town hall meeting with these commissioners and your community down there to talk about this in an open, calm, normal way? I can't recall. Has the there last been time time we had The last time we had any town hall meeting was after um, under Francis Suarez's uh, term as commissioner. Uh, they um, tried when to close that? off. When was that? I'm sorry. Became mayor. They had put delineator poles down 22nd Avenue and the community revolted. And well, there's a whole other issue related to that and expenditures. And it's something similar, a discussion item that became a resolution without any real public input. And bam, here you go. And it's wow. costing us a lot of money in tax dollars and, and extra police to guard barricades and legal fees. And, and it's just, it's fiscally irresponsible. And I don't know when it reaches the level of malfeasance, but we sure are dancing around that. You're sure. yeah. So, so demand a the group, town hall meeting. Have a meeting with them. Tell them, hey, come yeah. out here and let's talk. For a group yeah. that, that wants, you know, small government, this is a whole lot of government. Whole yeah. lot of government. And and you know the majority of the commission is obviously local government is nonpartisan, but the red and blue is shown everywhere, and the majority of the commission is Republican. Mm -hmm. So it is it is kind of in, and that's a great point you just made. It's it's interesting because uh for for people that say y'all y'all don't want to step on my rights and and take us away, y'all 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 really man well, they're not Republicans. This, you no, know no, what I'm no, saying? Those like, guys, yeah, those guys are not look all these a lot of these local politicians, and I'm just going to not name any of them. You all can pick them later if you want. A lot of them register Republican because they know that's the, the only demographic, the only party that certain demographics will vote for. But in reality, they're not governing like Republicans. They're governing like they're not big Democrats government. either. No, they're nothing. They're, they're governing like big government liberals or maybe worse. I mean, maybe it's just a corrupt, broken system that it's you know, to needs, it's, it's needs a, to get it's fixed. A... You know, you know what? I, because they do watch all this stuff every time that there's they 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 have people that analyze it. You know what? I'm gonna challenge them to, to have a conversation. You need a town hall. Let's have a conversation. There. Yes, you do. You Let's need talk one. about it. Not without without the rhetoric, without right. the hype, without the, right. the telenovela moments. <laughs> you know, those. seriously. A lot, a lot of those. Seriously. Yeah. It's ridiculous. It's like let's have an adult conversation here and let's try to figure out what we really need. Because if you're, you know. Maybe they're legitimate needs, but they haven't been communicated. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think you I think someone down there should figure out a way to haul Joe Carollo in and all these commissioners and have a town hall meeting on the record, not Zoom, not a Zoom meeting, but live face and to just, face. And yeah, just talk this thing yeah. through. Uh, well, we, yeah, you know, Raquel Regalado did the Zoom meeting, and uh, I'm glad that she did because it was it was quick. And I know a lot of people weren't around and. But I, I mean, I would like to see a live meeting, but I won't. I'm not going to I'm not going to penalize her for for her position on this. She's taken a, a strong position that I think is positive for the problem at hand. And, and you know, this is one of those legacy so, politicians. So, but so if you were to actually talk about what's the position, I don't I, I don't know. She's I, I don't a know commissioner. She's, 
She's yeah, a county commissioner for that district. And, and what has she said? Like, what, what is she She proposing? scheduled a Zoom meeting uh, to present what they knew. They've been reviewing the deeds. And she said straight up that, um, you know, once permits were applied for, that they would seek uh, legal intervention because these were they were look at exercising the reverter clauses in the lease. Wow. But, but they were still okay. being reviewed. So she did take a strong position. And I think that's the, the type of leadership that we want from our electeds. Um, and, you know, which is why I kind of I, I take a step from saying we can't have any legacy politicians because there's there's institutional knowledge that comes from that. But we have to have politicians that are doing a good job for the people, regardless of whether they come from a family or not, or whether they, they have a long history or not. We just have to we just have to have good representation. And, and I'll say one one elected official that I actually do want to commend in this is um, Danielle Levine Cava. You know, when she ran her election in 2020, Bovo was painting her to be like Antifa, defund the police. Oh, yeah. And for and, and again, like it's I, I always said that the Steve Bovo, Daniela Levine Cava was like a microcosm of like the Trump Hillary kind of dynamic that yeah. happened. Yeah. Right. Um, but what I what I like about DLC is that apart from how they painted her to be, she's super moderate like super reasonable, super moderate. And in this issue in particular, she's publicly said, that's the wrong choice. <laughs> like that's the wrong decision. And I'm going to challenge it because at the end of the day, it still falls under her purview being the mayor of Miami-Dade County. Right. Obviously it's a city of Miami issue and you know, the, the dynamics of the overlap. But what I'm, what I wish that I could see more is Francis Suarez be a lot more vocal on this mm -hmm. because he does have a veto power. And he's just been silent. It's 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 yeah. the indifference, you know, like right. like okay, I'm not gonna come out in favor of it or against it, but if I just don't say anything, it'll you know, it's not it's not on me. Mm -hmm. I say, and 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 it's crazy because I'm I'm very very, and that's the only moment I think I'm gonna disagree with you, Jason, because I'm actually very fond of Francis Suarez. I actually think the stuff that he's doing with the with the tech movement and bringing all of this kind of. Um, technology hub, new Silicon Valley. I'm actually super in favor of it, you know, yeah. but I think that's great. But what about this housing crisis that's going in Miami right now? You know, I, you, you are, you are right because there was that video of him saying the, uh, the basically stop being poor. <laughs> yeah. You got, yeah. yeah. That, that, Not yeah, a good look. That, that, that one was definitely bad. I mean, look, yeah. I, I, I think that's, you guys are much better versed in Florida, South Florida politics than I am. And you'll know, but, I think when the mayor of Miami is on Fox News trying to talk about national issues and he has a housing crisis in his own backyard mm -hmm. and he's talking about cryptocurrencies and all, but I'm a big fan of cryptocurrencies. Uh, I love that coin, stuff. But, but, work out. but but you really have to focus on the fundamentals. I think go local. And we've been saying to folks in both political parties, I'm happy to be Republican, but we've been saying to the people in the GOP, the future of the GOP is not over here in Washington, D.C. It's local. Right. That's where the future of the nation is, local state government, not up in Washington to see that everything they touch, they destroy, uh, everything they regulate, they, they will if you let them. And I don't see these local politicians, maybe there are some who are an exception, jumping into this with the energy that I see them jumping into other things. And I think we need them to kind of fix that problem because Miami relies on tourism. Miami relies on financial services. Miami is a vibrant crossroads city. And I see pockets of greatness, but then I see pockets of misery in different parts of the city. And that's not good for the long term.
I, I don't see it as yeah. a, po- a net positive. There, there's a, there are a lot of people suffering in this town and we have to do better by them too. Yep. Yeah. Well, I think uh, let's end it there because you were so eloquent in, in everything that you just mentioned. I hope we see the best out of this issue, but to, to stay optimistic, I think that at least people are talking, right? You've, you've been able to shed some light on things that otherwise maybe a lot of us would just, you know, look the other way. Mm -hmm. Um, And if anything else is to, as Jason and Nadir, you said, just get involved, pay attention to who our, our politicians are and go out and vote and really realize that it is in local government, not, not just go vote when it's a presidential election. Um, but yeah, everything's local. It, that's where it matters. Uh, I want to thank you all for being here. Jason, thank you for taking your time and sitting down with us. Um, Esther and Nadir for your expertise. I, uh, I urge you guys, those listening and watching to continue the conversation, reach out to these guys on social media with more questions. Um, and and really dig in there and, and see what's happening and how we can really get this thing turned around. And I think the only way this is going to get turned around is if you go to City Hall with those same protesters mm-hmm. and you just stand there mm-hmm. with big signs and you crash their commission meeting. It's going to happen. Because that, <laughs> unfortunately, elected officials aren't motivated until their elections, their votes, their 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 public esteem is at risk because right. that's the the poking the elephant with the stick like yo you see me right yeah so hey th- this is real we're not busing kids in from from a soccer league to go mm-hmm. to city hall to go yay we want more soccer these, these are people these are random people that until this issue were not united and we're not organized and they're angry and they're not giving up and as we as we told them, the only real win here is codified protection for Virginia Key. And we're going to start with Virginia Key. And that's probably going to be the beginning of a lot of more protection for for a shared for public spaces. This is a public park. Yeah. And that should never outside of a of an act of God, a hurricane, an act of war that should never have been even considered. For something that's been a crisis decades in the making. That's improving. It should be hands off our parks. It's it's too vital, too limited. We cannot replace this with anything similar. Once it's gone, it's gone. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you for saying yes, that. Thank you for having us. Back. And thank you thank for you. everybody who's listening and watching or both. And um, yeah, keep the conversation going. And as we always say, time is the top currency. So the fact that you spent it with us means so much. Thank you for and having us. We'll see you next time. Jason, I look forward to seeing you in person. Next time I'm in Miami, I, I look forward to doing it again. And good luck, folks. Get out there. Thank you for those pastelitos. I can smell them from all the way up here. Thank you so much. Good luck. We're, keep it going. We're going to have one for you, Jason. Amen. Okay, well, keep, keep it going and uh, hold them to account.